heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them, from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen to the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. The doctor saving lives at your local hospital. The war veteran down the street who risked his lives for our freedom. The police officers and firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur. The creator. The producer. The ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. And I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks of the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews. I am on the line with Roland, Roland Seablink. Roland, are you there? Yes, I am. Hi, how are you? Awesome. Glad to have you here, Roland. So let me um, real quick introduce you to our guests and then we'll get started. So Roland is a 25-year-plus year veteran of internet business, entrepreneurship, and digital marketing. You were the uh, former landslide winner of Silicon Valley's uh, Founder Showcase, CEO and co-founder of Topic Marks, acquired by Tagged, served in a variety of executive strategy, product advisory roles, tech CEOs, worked and lived in four different countries. You speak six languages, which is a Pretty cool. Um, and you've been recognized by the US government as an alien of extraordinary ability, which I think is an incredibly funny title. <laughs> um, and so what I want you to talk about, um, talk about to start with is, tell us what your business is like now. What are you known for? Why do people come to you? What do they hire you for? Um, you know, why, do, why does someone call up Roland um, Seablink and say, hey, I need to work with you? Well, um, I've been very lucky in my career to have been three times part of a startup that grew from 10 to 1,000 people in about three years' time. So I think it's pretty rare that people wow. experience that even just once. Uh, and I've been lucky enough to experience it three times in the 90s, in the 2000s, and then again in the 2010s. So what that has helped me see is some patterns in what are the drivers that founders, when they get it right, really drive that big momentum and hyper growth. What are also some of the errors that founders typically make that may make it harder to then reach an exit or uh, keep that growth up over time or um, to, uh, to even go public. So what I do these days, since I've had that awesome experience is I help founders that are in that phase of, let's say just after product market fit, like when the company has a real chance of growing like crazy to help them structure that energy, to help make sure that they get the priorities right with their teams, um, learn to delegate, learn to hire the right people, learn to set the right and focused strategy, learn to institute some discipline around execution. Basically all about scaling up that company further and further and keeping up the momentum all the time. Awesome, so when, are people gonna be seeking you out when they hit that specific um, point or are they going to not know they have this problem so you seek them out and educate them? Like, how does that work? Um, so I do quite a bit of awareness raising in terms of uh, public speaking or sometimes just sending a few tools we've developed to people uh, for free, free for them to use, of course, just to get them aware that they may indeed have um, 
challenges ahead that they may not get advice from their investors about, or that you know they may all be the very first people in that company to have ever experienced those challenges. And um, ultimately, I think since uh, most of the work we do is coaching and facilitation, it's not the kind of business that you call cold call people and say, hey, I think you need a coach because of course the first reaction is going to be, no, I don't, right? So it's more to make people aware that there is a whole body of knowledge that exists here and a lot of experience. And if they can want to tap into that experience, then um, it's a good. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, as far as like how you would, uh, how you, you get clients, you sort of have to make them aware that you exist because they may not even know they have these problems or the problems that are coming down the road and you do. So you have to sort of like get yourself ahead of them a little bit. Well, um, so they know there's the other, a resource there. Absolutely. And, and the other thing that I'm starting to notice as I'm in business longer is that clients just refer other startups to me. Uh, just the other day, I had a long-term client that's been with me for almost three years now and they saw that a, another startup in their city had raised the Series A, and the first thing they do is introduce these founders to me and said, this is what uh, really helped us get to Series B and Series C much faster, so uh, why don't you have a chat with Rome? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, what I wanna get to then next is sort of your, your origin story, right? Every hero has their origin story. It's where you started to realize that you were different, that maybe you had superpowers and maybe you could use them to help other people. Um, it's where you started to develop and discover the real value you can bring to this world. So how did that happen for you? How did you go from you know, someone who's working in a startup to being a, a, a coach for startups? Um, you know, I think it probably even started before I was working in a real startup. Um, because my very first job after finishing um, my uh, master's in uh, Brussels was to actually work at university uh, on a, a new, it was kind of a startup inside the university, a new research center that was also growing like crazy from maybe just a professor to like 50 researchers in a few years. Um, and um, Interestingly, that research center was focused primarily on adoption of new technology by, uh, by the market. So what are the drivers that consumers look for? What are the drivers that make or break a new innovation into the market? And so I think that was for a long while what I felt to be my red thread to understand very well. It's not just about getting the technology right. It's not just about getting the marketing message and the sales right, but how do you actually bridge the two and how can you be that person, that leader, who can bridge the technological product side towards the market sales and customer satisfaction side. And that uh, basically led me to then work in a variety of startups and scale-ups, uh, always with that focus on how do I bridge between technology and the market. And whatever hat I was wearing uh, was kind of irrelevant, whether it was product or strategy or marketing, or even on some quality at some point in time. It was always about how do I get that awesome technology, that new innovation that's out there into the hands of people that can really use it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense um, as far as like how you'd, you'd get into that space. So sort of along the way, um, did you sort of discover what your superpower was in helping these, um, helping these, these, uh, these companies? to make that transition. So like, I like to think of your superpower as like the one thing that you really think se separates you, differentiates you and makes it the kind of thing that would, uh, um, that people need you for. Well, um, 
it's interesting that you asked it. It's always hard to find your own superpower, but um, luckily, I, when I was working with my first CEO when I was just 28, um, he said, you know, I call you when I really need a broad variety of people to agree on a controversial proposal. Because you don't just get them to agree, you get them to commit. And I don't know how you do it, but you talk a little bit here, you chisel a little bit there, and ultimately it all feels to them like it's the uh, key way going forward, and you need to think it's their own idea. And so he called me a commitment sculptor, which is a title I've been um, wearing with pride ever since. A commitment sculptor. I like that. Where so you actually you can get buy-in from everyone on the team to actually make something happen. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think um, maybe it's related to what I've known, uh, what I've noticed culturally. Um, so you can hear by my funny accent, I'm from the Netherlands or Holland originally, and our um, culture is known a little bit outside of, of uh, our home country to be a little bit blunt. But we like to tell the truth to people. We don't like to be um, skirmishing around the truth as, as some other nationalities are known for, let's say. Uh, but what people don't realize, inside our own culture, we're also extremely consensus oriented. Um, we will take sometimes three, four, five hour meetings just to make sure that everyone still agrees to the conclusion we had to uh, reach last week in the same meeting. So um, I think I've also help those two conflicting ideas in my head and in my spirit all of the time that on the one hand you need to start from telling people the truth and this is what it is and have an open debate about how we see the world differently but also then come together around well what's our common view and what can we decide right now to move this company forward rather than you know both putting up our walls and sitting on there and shouting to the others you're wrong yeah, um, one of my, uh, my mentors used to say that a, a person convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Um, <laughs> so, like so you, that's an amazing quote. Yeah, so a person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. And I, I feel like you're the opposite of that, right? Like you come in and you, you help them see the commitment as if it's, as if it's their own idea, right? Um, and move yeah. in and, uh, and really take ownership of it. Yeah, and, and that's probably also why sometimes I refer to myself more as a facilitator than a coach. I believe that um, a coach um, takes sometimes a rather passive view, trying to understand what drives people and then encourage them to focus even more on um, that purpose and, and what drives their energy. But when, when you're in a team setting, I would say it's much more about making the interaction of the team easier and, and that's really what facilitation means to make it easier right um, and to understand well what person a has an interest in that area and person b has an interest in completely unrelated area we can kind of combine them together they may both agree on this proposal now, some people may call that politics um, i think there is a, a good and a bad definition of politics politics in the best definition is just how do we reconcile a number of interests into common way forward. The bad definition of politics would be I just tell everyone what they want to hear and I don't and I never even say what I think. And I think obviously we'd like to avoid the second definition. We'd like to stick with the first. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And the facilitation is a um, 
a skill all into itself, right? Where, uh, I don't know, I, I always sort of felt like facilitators are the glue that hold operations together, mm -hmm. right? Because you're the one that makes everything, everything really happen because everyone else has their silos, but someone's got to connect it all. <laughs> That's true. And actually, you, you bring up a very important point that um, really can damage these fast-growing startups in many ways. That is that these silos are growing and growing, and everyone in these silos wants to be an ever-better title, functional title, call it an ever-better marketer, ever-better engineer, an ever-better finance person. But there's very few people that actually try and uh, look at the end-to-end -end result of how do all these silos actually produce work for the customer together. And so that's something that I pay a lot of attention to in, let's say, the, the workshops I organize with my clients or also the CEO coaching. Um, how do we make sure that there's value that is created across the functions rather than within the because mostly it's not about getting even better at marketing, getting even better at engineering. It's making sure that there's actually an end result coming from the customer by a common and joint effort. Yeah, yeah. So I want to talk about the, uh, the, the other side of the coin, right? So if your superpower is the facilitation and the uh, commitment sculptor, the other side of your superpower is your fatal flaw. It's something that holds you back, holds your business growth back, and you know that if you fixed it, you could really rock yourself forward, right? Just like Superman has his kryptonite or Batman's not actually a superhero. What's one of the things that you've struggled with in growing your coaching business? And more importantly, how have you worked on that for other people who might suffer from something similar to yours? Yeah, I think um, it's probably related to if you feel like you, you know very well what you are personally good at, then it becomes very hard to also expand your coaching business um, with uh, additional talents. So if this is what I'm known for, to really be great at facilitation and commitment sculpting, then can I also have another coach or facilitator come in that may have different superpowers? And so I think every small business owner typically uh, struggles with that uh, duplication uh, challenge. How do we turn this one person's business into a three, four, five, ten, and twenty person's business over time that we can help ever more startups yeah yeah that makes sense so how have you uh how have you been working on on that in your business to help sort of overcome that and, and use that to your advantage instead of being a weakness mm -hmm. uh, well um i started with uh, an associate coach uh, this year and we started to spend a lot of time understanding where our mutual strengths are and um, sometimes my superpower doesn't apply that much and hers may apply more and we've actually been innovating with what I call paired coaching, where just like paired programming, we've started to take some meetings as two coaches together um, with clients, um, where one is in the lead and uh, that person is really coaching that client, but the other coach is listening in and providing some back channel feedback to the lead coach to make sure they keep asking other questions, that they get more inspiration of maybe going through a blockage when it doesn't feel like there's much happening. Um, and that has been a tremendous increase in coaching power for us to be the two coaches on the call, to have that back-end support if you will, as a coach when you're live in the moment. 
to provide much, much better coaching services to the CEOs. Yeah. That's actually a, a really cool idea. It's something that like I, I actually do that occasionally with some of my clients. I don't have a like a set up like a professional business thing, but one of my, um, one of the people, my business partner, will occasionally get on uh, on client calls together, and he'll do nothing other than just listen, and and like see where you miss questions. So like, oh, maybe you should have dug a little deeper there. Maybe you should poke poke that thing a little bit more. Right. And, um, and that's, uh, it's really helpful to have another eye like that. I mean, I could see how that would be a, that's a really useful way to, uh, to shore up the, uh, the skills in your, your coaching business. Yeah. I think it's, it's, um, it's having the confidence that we can all constantly get better and more and more, no matter where we are in our career. And I think uh, what really made a difference for us and such a, such a big increase in effectiveness was the live feedback channel during actually like texting we just use normal texts but i will get texts if i'm the lead coach like ask more about it or what's the energy behind it? or um, why is he silent <laughs> things like that and yeah, I'm yeah. And if the other person is the lead coach then i will basically just fade in the background and not even see him on the zoom call uh, but we make sure that coach is constantly also getting uh, or snippets of suggested questions that they may then choose to use or not use, of course. Yeah. So how many coaches do you have on your your uh, uh, team now? At the moment, we're five. They're not all full-time, but it keeps growing. And um, basically, some, some are more specialized in one-on-one coaching assessments. Some are more specialized in Called team facilitation and business coaching, and also some geographical specialization. But to be honest, we're still figuring out how to how the puzzle all fits together, how the jigsaw works, and let's say. Yeah, yeah, you got to do your own version of your your coaching for your business. That's exactly <laughs> right. I'm not the first to tell me that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I know how that goes in my business. Like I say, the uh, it's like the cobbler's son, right? He's got no shoes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so our own business gets ignored while we help our clients, um, and it's the you know I think it's the primary problem of, of entrepreneurs. So my who, uh, who was uh, I asked my, my my parents what what does this uncle do for a living? So oh, he's a teacher of um, pedagogy, I think you call it in, uh, in English. I'm not even sure how to pronounce it, but to basically teaches teachers how to raise children very well said, oh, well, then you must be a great parent yourself. And I still remember the look on their faces like, uh, no. So <laughs> I guess another variety of the couple some story. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. So my, uh, my next question for you is about your common enemy, right? Every superhero has their common enemy. And in this case, think about it like the, when you bring on a new client, if you could remove one thing from their life, from their mindset, from their organization, from something that you know is just holding them back, if you could just wave your magic wand and make that go away, you could just get results for them better, faster. What is that thing that you keep running into that's holding your clients back? Um, I'd have to say it's the fake self-confidence that makes people closed for a new inputs, um, the kind of people who are almost not coachable, so people who 
of such a kind of regard of themselves, fake or true, um, that they say, you know, I just know everything best. If I had a magic wand, then that's the one thing I would remove. Typically, do remove it just by not looking at them. I do quite a bit of due diligence before I sign off and reply. <laughs> That's actually that's actually really interesting because I, I um, you're one of the uh, the first people we've had on that works with startups. Most you know clients range all over the place from from other guests, and generally it's having too low of a confidence that people are running into. And it's interesting that you're you run into the opposite problem in the startup space: the people that are overconfident and maybe need to uh, to to realize where their own weaknesses are. Well, founders are a special breed of people, right? So uh, to uh, be fighting against uh, the whole world with the perspective on the basis that no one ever believes in is a very different uh, skill set. And so every founder that's successful has gone through two, three, four years of that relentless fighting against what everyone else would think is common sense. So no founder is without a very strong personality. So um, some learn from that and say, you know, I need to stay open. I need to keep learning from all the sources I can reach, and those are very good points. Um, but there's a, there are some others who ultimately always revert back to, I know that I know what's best, and, uh, and nobody's telling me what to do. I wouldn't necessarily say that that means that they're so confident. It may mean that they're almost afraid to recognize they're not so There's some deep psychological thing going on there sometimes, but it may not be something that we can fix in just a few sessions. And if that's the, the case, then uh, it may not be best that we do as well. Yeah, yeah, that could be, uh, I could see how that'd be, that'd be difficult to, to work through, but that's why people would hire you. So my- uh... <laughs> We do try, of course, right? So. If we cannot challenge the clients a little bit, um, then that's usually a very bad sign. The ones that, that have a great experience when we work with them are the ones that actually like to be challenged. I often say to my, to my team, they secretly crave to be challenged. Nobody on their team is, is challenging them. Yeah, yeah. So, my, uh, my next question has to do with your driving force, right? So if your common enemy is something that you're fighting against, your driving force is something you're fighting for, right? Mm -hmm. So just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or, you know, in a startup space, Google fights to categorize all of the world's information. What is it that you fight for in your company? I fight for um, turning a, let's say, typically still quite vulnerable startup with a great zeal into a more robust company that can stand on its own feet all the time, where the founder can still be confidently in charge, while all that time they still kept that original zeal alive. And that's my key point there, that it's easy to turn a startup into maybe more of a traditional company or a bureaucracy. That's not really why they started the startup. They want to have a different kind of one that changes the world, not just for customers, but also for employees. And that's really my goal here, to keep that founder in charge to, as I call it, to keep growing while keeping them in charge. That's really the 
Yeah, yeah, that, I can see how that'd be quite challenging because as you grow, it's it's hard to keep that lean mentality and that uh that movement that sort of makes the uh makes the startup. So, I'm I'm kind of curious actually on on that point. Um, you mentioned earlier that um, one of the things you're helping the startups with is figure out what their exit strategy is. Mm -hmm. Now, are most of the startups when they're looking to build um, build their company are they looking to build for acquisition or are they looking to build for to become like market leaders? Like, what's what's the goal generally? I'd say the goal is um, usually just to grow, 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 grow. <laughs> but I help them crystallize a little bit more. What does that mean? Does it mean that ultimately you want to which I generally advocate, or uh, does it mean that you just want to have a couple of good years and then basically um, start moving on to your next thing, which typically implies you want to optimize more towards an exit. In reality, it doesn't make that much of a difference in how you manage the company, because at any point in time, you need to maximize value for the investors and keep the growth going. And they always say the best acquisitions are the ones that don't want to be acquired. The worst are the ones that are trying to sell themselves, right? So, um, in terms of in terms of the real day-to-day -day management of the company, it doesn't make a big difference. What does make a difference is just keeping your eyes open to potential exit opportunities down the road. One startup I worked with indirectly um, had four uh, exit opportunities in their very early deck of the Series A or. And uh, one of the VCs they worked with said, oh, actually, I know the CEO of one of those exit companies. Why don't I set him up as a mentor for you for this young CEO? And they did. And then they, a few years later, when that company was looking for exit opportunities, was that mentor relationship that actually turned into an acquisition with uh, a bigger, uh, just because that big uh, CEO couldn't stand turning to go into some other yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess yeah, that would happen, right? You you helped raise that company. You want to, you know, bring it into the fold. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so ask you a more practical question, right? Um, but I call this a hero's tool belt. So maybe you got a big magical hammer like Thor, or a bulletproof vest like your neighborhood police officer. Maybe you just really love how Evernote helps you organize your killer slides. What are some of the things that you use, um, practical tools you use to really help drive home um, the work that you do for your clients? Mm -hmm. Well, I would say the, the key thing is our uh, quarterly workshops. Next to that, uh, we would um, be referring to the one-page tools that we um, uh, put uh, in front of our clients. And the third one would be the tech scale-up health check. So I start with quarterly workshops, even if they may be a little bit old fashioned, but it really makes a big difference for a team to take one day a quarter to just sit together in one room and discuss issues openly. We fill up that day uh, tremendously with eight to nine different exercises, all of which are designed to bring as many thoughts to the table as possible. So. We'll use uh, people putting their thoughts on sticky notes. We only debate after the whole consensus is displayed on the wall. And not only does that lead to consensus much more um, often and much more rapidly than people uh, would otherwise be able to, it also gives people a constant gauge of actually what, how valuable are the contributions of different people on the team? How uh, quickly do I see uh, things actually working because um, because people are giving me 
new ideas, even if that I thought that that person in the team was really not that useful. You know, that's a big, uh, big thing that comes out. And every workshop finishes with uh, five different priorities that the team set themselves for um, the next quarter. So uh, there's always a huge commitment at the end. Maybe that's re related to my commitment sculpting um, uh, profile, right? Uh, making sure that there's only a list of top five priorities that they can then know they know how to measure they know who owns them and they know how to announce them to the teams as well um, for uh, new energy for the next quarter the second i would say is um, there are many management books out there and they're all very valuable but nobody in a startup situation has time to be reading management books all the time so what we do is we summarize uh, some of these management books into simple one-page tools called we call them decision sheets and these are often the basis for exercises, whether it's in a workshop or it's just remote when we do a coaching exercise, where it quickly gathers the thoughts, gives people, asks people some questions and very quickly gives an idea of, um, okay, how do I solve this particular problem? For example, one is the talent gauge and we ask people to quickly map when they have some doubts whether they have the right people on the team we ask them to quickly map all the people on their team into a two by two matrix based on some questions that we ask a very simple tool but it's amazing how quickly this leads to conclusions like actually i've underestimated this person i need to mentor them more or i need to provide them with more coaching maybe even promote them whereas that other person now i suddenly see why that person is taking so much energy because they're really just not a good fit with the values of the company. And so that doesn't necessarily have to mean uh, that a correction needs to take place, but it just means that people become much more aware of what is sapping their energy, what is driving the team forward, and where can they make uh, slight changes to move that in the right direction. And the last one I mentioned was the Tech Scale Up Health Check. So that's really an assessment we've developed in-house that gives uh, tech scale-ups uh, an idea how well they are performing on 11 different dimensions against other tech scale-ups in the field. And so it's about, is your marketing better? Is your sales better? Your talent acquisition, um, your strategy? All of these give a quick overview how you are performing against more of the norm so that people know what uh, blind spots they may have and where they may want to set a new priority for the next quarter. You know, those sound like some pretty uh, powerful tools. I'm curious on your quarterly reviews that you do with a big team, mm -hmm. how would you, like it sounds, because it sounds like a really good idea, how would you scale that down to someone who's running a smaller team, maybe a solopreneur or uh, someone who's got maybe one or two people on their team, if they want to do the same thing, when, you know, when they're wearing most of the hats, what does that look like? Well, first of all, I'd probably suggest that uh, that needs to be done more often. So um, a quarterly review is great for a company of 40, 50 people or more. Uh, but if we're talking about uh, just a few people or one person who takes all the decisions, in most cases, I'd actually recommend that they do that on a monthly basis and uh, they don't set themselves these longer term quarterly goals because the world moves much faster. Plus, you don't need all the time to convince others in your business that this is the right idea, right? So, um, and that's why we typically support uh, single entrepreneurs or, or solopreneurs with uh, more of a mastermind structure. People who meet on a monthly basis, they are remote groups, typically six to nine 
people in one group, all entrepreneurs in different fields, but typically around the same development stage of their company. And uh, we essentially ask them to draw up these priorities in and in before the mastermind, share them with each other. And then the team holds people accountable to reaching those goals uh, across uh, the month that is going ahead. Typically, we're not looking at five goals or something like that, more like just one goal, maybe two. Um, but to keep it simple, to say, okay, this is the one critical point I need to fix about my business. And I can take a first step before next month's meeting. That's how we will help people more in a solopreneur or very small business uh, situation. Yeah, I like that. That sounds like something uh, I need to do with some of my uh, my mastermind buddies. Is that like a a monthly, <laughs> a monthly like, hey, what's our uh, what's our do or die thing this month for our company? You don't so, do that at the moment in a mastermind. Um, so we, we, we do, we do a number of things, um, but we don't have like a single do or die task that we're, uh, we're, we're focusing on. <laughs> I think it makes it, so, I think it'll make a big difference. I do, do recommend you would try it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Are you tired of trying to write webinars that don't consistently convert? How would you like to have a webinar that effortlessly created sales in your online business? You can Introducing the Webinar Alchemy Workshop. Webinar Alchemy Workshop is an online masterclass that will help you write incredibly persuasive webinars for your online courses quickly and easily. Using what you learn in this class, you can build a webinar that educates your entire audience while still creating sales. For a limited time, you can purchase this masterclass for only $7, and you'll get the exact framework I've personally used to help my clients sell more than a million dollars worth of online coaching and training just over the last year. Simply text the word ALCHEMY, A-L-C-H-E-M-Y, to 444-999, and I'll send you all the details. The music is by Purple Planet Music. Visit www.purple-planet.com. And now, back to the show. So, I want to talk a little bit about your own personal heroes, right? So, uh, Frodo, Frodo had Gandalf, Luke had Obi-Wan Kenobi, Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad. Who were some of your heroes? Were they real-life mentors? Were they uh, speakers or authors, peers who were just a couple of years ahead of you? Um, and how important were they to what you accomplished so far in your uh, coaching business? Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Very interesting. Um, I'd say uh, I definitely have a few business authors that were heroes to me. Um, probably the more um, general management oriented ones. I would say Peter Drucker has been a huge source of inspiration to me for many years. I've read almost all of the books and I will still, when I feel demotivated, just grab one of the books, read a few pages and I'm motivated again. Um, and then second, I would say in the uh, particular space of tech scale-ups, I'd recommend uh, Jeffrey Moore um, with his uh, Crossing the Chasm, Body of Works, and then there's a, there's a few other books as well. Very inspirational and really describing what works in the tech scale-up phase. Um, and then afterwards, uh, I would say um, uh, Vern Harnish uh, with the book Scaling Up, it's also been a huge source of inspiration to me just by offering a practical guidance for how to um, uh, do, you know, how to, how to grow a company, whether it's a tech scale up in, in Vern's case, it's more written for other kinds of companies such as um, a hotel or a consulting company or any other company that is just growing organically. But I've learned a lot from that book nevertheless and joined Vern's uh, coaching organization to make sure I could apply these, uh, these tools and these concepts to 
um, tech scale-ups as well. Next to that, I would say I definitely have a few heroes also of former CEOs I worked with or uh, sometimes non-CEOs like a controller of one company I worked with or um, a head of marketing that, uh, that I used to work for. And so I'd say, you know, none of this, none of them has probably become like the single hero that was always the best. Um, it's more like you learn a little bit from everyone and um, how do you combine yeah. these learnings into a new into a new body of knowledge. Yeah, yeah, and I love the Peter Drucker stuff as well. I've read a couple of his things and what do they call him? Like the godfather of modern day marketing, essentially. Um, so. <laughs> and management, right? And it's like uh, still yeah, at the management. Time, and management was considered a positive term and not just in opposition to leadership, you know? So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, let's bring it home for our listeners and talk a little bit about your guiding principles. What are top one or two principles or actions you put into practice on a regular basis that you think contribute to the success that you have in your company and the success that your clients see? Uh, so I think from for anyone in a leadership position, um, the first principle you have to uh, live by, I feel, is uh, you walk the, walk the walk and not don't just talk the talk, right? So you have to uh, set the right example, actually do um, what you want done and not just um, talk about it. I think that's one of the, the most important principles. And the other one is to dare to think different. Um, in many cases, a startup uh, that scales up will only remain successful if they really work in a different way than the incumbent competitors in that field. And so if you're always trying to emulate bigger competitors or bigger companies in your field, it actually will uh, distract from your success. It is much more important to find out, well, why are they doing things this way? Does that mean I should do the same or is it better for me to take kind of the opposite approach because there's more room to grow in that field? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I always used to think of that as, uh, you know, if everyone else is doing it, it's probably wrong. So we should go exactly the other direction. <laughs> well, uh, we were in the, um, uh, a few years ago, we were in the aquarium in uh, Monterey, California. And, you know, they have this gigantic tank with all the, I think it's anchovies or sardines all swimming around in circles day and night. And there was one that was swimming the other direction. And my husband points to that fish and says, that's you. <laughs> yeah, you're the one going the other direction. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the way I, th I think about life too, is, is, you know, if everyone else is going this way, you should go the other direction. And it's actually, it's really helpful in, in business too, because um, when you are looking at the direction of your company and what you're doing, um, that's how you stand out, right? It's the one fish you notice in the crowd is the one going the other direction. Yeah, and, I don't remember any of the other fish, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, you remember the fish who's going the wrong way. Um, and that's, that's an important skill. Um, and I think it ties right into something that I like, I, I work in the marketing space. And mm -hmm. one of the things that happens all the time in the marketing space is people are always talking about certain tactics or strategies that are dead, right? Yeah. Everything's always dead. Email is dead and direct mail is dead and Facebook marketing is dead and whatever it is, it's always dead. And I always like, like if it's dead, <laughs> that means if someone's trying to tell you it's dead, they've got something to sell you. Um, and you know, I think, you know, you go the other direction with it. And instead of talking about how everything else is dead, why don't you just show people why whatever you're doing is actually going to work, right? Show people right. results. Yeah. Um, 
and, and you know, it's just, it's just doing the opposite of what the market does. Cause the, the lazy marketing is like, Hey, whatever you're currently doing is dead. You should try our way instead. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're so right. Especially in the marketing space, there are so many people who basically have a hammer and to them, everything looks like a nail. And there's not even a questioning of first principles. Like, does it even make sense to recommend social media to one who is only in business to business, for example, are the buyers even on social media? You know, these things are, are I think, fundamental questions that no social media expert will ever even ask. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're like, if, if you run social media campaigns, then the answer to all of your clients' problems is social media. And That's I think exactly sometimes, right. <laughs> yeah bringing someone like like you in or myself to come in and be like, hey, let's actually step back a little bit and where are your customers? And what are the problems they have? And how can we reach them and use the strategy that reaches them best? That might actually be direct mail, right? <laughs> so, it's possible. <laughs> it's possible, it could be. That's how you need to get a hold of them is with direct mail. So, in the yeah. street, so it must be doing something right, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's still there, right? It still works. Um, and it's probably not dead. So um, what I want to talk about, la one of the last things we do on the show is something I call the, um, the Hero Challenge. Hero Challenge is pretty simple. Um, I do it on every show. And it's basically this. Do you have someone in your life or in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come share their story of entrepreneurship on our show? Hmm, interesting. Uh, so let me think. Um, um, I would recommend Rick, who uh, has uh, had a longer entrepreneurial story than most, where it took almost 15 years for them to reach an amazing exit. Uh, and so that would be an interesting story. Um, on the other yeah, hand, yeah, I would also be. know uh, early stage entrepreneurs such as Rob, who are working on um, real problems to change the world through, uh, for example, wind energy um and working oh, cool. uh, just as an as an ex-student and um and and trying to raise the first rounds of funding very interesting stories all of them yeah so we can connect later about uh about getting someone like that on the show for now though what i'd like to do is um find out where people can find you right if they're in that space i don't know how many uh startup entrepreneurs i have in my audience but if i do have someone in the startup space where can they find you? Where, what, um, and what type of, what's like the ideal customer? Like where should they be in their business before they reach out to someone like you? Mm -hmm. Okay. So ideal customer is uh, a company that has just, just raised their series A or is close to doing so. Um, we typically start around that uh, time. And um, if they are in the software business, they're even more ideal because those are the ones that we really focus on. Um, it doesn't have to be in Silicon Valley because we actually serve uh, startups all over the world. We're not geographically focused. Sometimes we can even help more outside of the Bay Area than inside it because, you know, we bring a lot of that knowledge to people in other cities and other countries. Um, the best way to uh, reach out to me is to find the website ScalingSiliconValleyStyle.com. So ScalingSiliconValleyStyle.com, which is also the title of my book and where people can uh, download three chapters and also reach out and just ask questions in every way they any way they want to awesome thank you very much for that so if you're in that space and you're listening to this and you need a you want someone to come and help you take that to the next level definitely reach out to roland obviously he knows what he's talking about here has a lot of good knowledge in this space um 
And with that, I'd just like to thank you so much for coming on the show, Roland. Really appreciate it. It's been a, a very cool conversation. Um, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much, Richard. Much appreciate the invitation. It was a pleasure. Yeah. So last thing, do you have any final words of wisdom for our audience? Oh, that's a difficult question to finish off with, right? I think ultimately, um, you know, learn a lot, um, get as much information as you can from other people in your space, but be authentic, be yourself, because as a leader, as a somebody changing the world, all you can do is be authentic to yourself and that'll give you the driving force to really change the world. You heard him, guys. Be authentic. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Roland. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Richard.